0: You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective, Gary Jenkins.
1: Welcome, all you wiretappers out there. I'm here in the Gangland Wire studio, and I have our our good friend, co-host, mob historian, Camulus Robinson. Cam Robinson, good to have you here, Cam. Gary, how you doing? Glad to be here. All right, so you've done a bunch of research. You know, Cam's been helping me out a lot because I was so busy with that uh, Mob Film Festival and finishing off my Brothers Against Brothers, uh, the Savella Spiro War in uh, DVD or movie. Um, and he's done a lot of research and, and really got me through that. And he's done a lot of research on the Utica, New York Mob Collapse 1970-1992 which be upstate New York, and, and I would assume that they were connected to the Magadino family out of Buffalo, would that be Right, correct?
0: right, right. They also call that the arm. They were a, a crew of the, the arm up there, the uh, uh, Magadino family.
1: Okay, so they didn't really have, uh, they, they would be considered a crew, they didn't really have their own little family that then kind of made homage to Magadino, but they were more like a crew.
0: Right. Valachi actually said that he identified them as a separate family in the, the, I mean, Utica and Rome, but really, they were, you know, he he said uh, uh, Salvatore and Joseph Falcone, but really, they, it, it was it was sort of a, a separate area, but really, they did fall under Magadino, so they would be just a really large uh, insular crew, but they still did kick up to Magadino at the end of the day. Okay. Interesting.
1: I, not not really heard of him myself. Well,
0: you've uh, got these two brothers, Salvatore and Joseph Falcone. They ran things from from Prohibition forward. Uh, the older brother, Salvatore Falcone, was really the the head guy, and he lived in between Miami and Utica. He died in seventy two. He was uh, eighty one years old. So once he dies, his weaker brother sort of takes over, Joseph Falcone. And he doesn't have the he doesn't have the moxie that his brother had and so then in 1974 Steve Magadino dies in Buffalo so in 72 and 74 you've got this major brain drain in the in the uh in the New York and the upstate New York families and so this Joseph Falcone is left sort of weak and aging without the strength of his brother or Magadino backing him up and he's got all these sort of young Turks uh maybe not too young but guys in their in their 50s and 60s while he's in his 70s, are coming up. They want to seize power. They think he's he's doing things the old way, and you know they're looking at it, at, at new ways to make money, new ways of drugs, and they're they're willing to be a bit more, more uh, uh, violent. And so you get his top guys. Starting to be disrespectful, and show, they don't show up to meetings. He even got robbed by one of his top guys. They stole fifty-four thousand dollars from a safe of his. A guy, uh, his, his capo named Tony Falange robbed uh, this Joseph Falcone, who was the boss.
1: Oh my God, that takes a lot of balls there. Yeah, That's, uh... <laughs> it
0: was it was returned later, but yeah, they yeah. They, they just uh, I guess they were just sort of pushing the boundaries there, you know, so.
1: Uh, interesting. I also see that the uh, somebody from the Colombo family uh, from Carmine yeah. Persico was starting to move in on the area. saw saw this power yeah. vacuum as as that's how they are. They see a power vacuum. That's they right. see These older bosses are gone, and, and they you know, start making their moves on that.
0: Yeah, and I heard mixed things about you know was the Colombo forcing their way in. I don't know that it got as as heated as that. And some people, I, I, I've seen some people online say it was, and I saw an interview with a guy. But basically, it just sounds like. Once this older Falcone left and these two Falcons got, got older and out of the power structure, their own guys wanted to take over. But like you said, you've got that power vacuum, so you've got somebody else wants to expand into their territory. I don't know if that, I don't think that that necessarily constituted a war per se, but I think that you did have some budding heads.
1: Hmm. And What's the deal with this Albert Marone guy? Uh, he, he was, uh, he called him a young Turk. And, yeah. And he comes out. I remember we had a guy that like this was really violent and he came out of jail and he started doing all kinds of stuff and, and, and he was so stupid. It wasn't long before he ended up back in jail, but. Uh,
0: yeah. You know, Marone had killed two of his own guys earlier. I, I had it on here, but I think I've taken it off, but these were two guys who were associated with Marone that he had he had killed earlier. He would blown one up in a car and, and, and shot one at point-blank range, so he had been in jail for a couple of years, and then Marone comes out talking about, I'm gonna take things over. You know, you've got uh, old man Falcone is out of it, and Marone works for this Tony Falange, but Marone was literally going around, he's gonna kill somebody threatening violence on everybody, and he just, he's going to take over the family. He was really vocal about it. And the guy was in his, I want to say he was in his, his early to mid thirties. And he was just making a lot, a lot of noise.
1: What's really interesting is at the same time in the seventies, we had the spiros That's right. The guy who was just like this. Yeah. Who came out of the penitentiary and started recruiting other guys saying, you know, we're going to take over. You had uh, the Danny Green Fight with yeah. uh, with the hierarchy in in Cleveland about that same time. It, it seems like these were like the the baby boomers were were getting a had been around long enough that they wanted more and more and wanted to push the old world war one kind of people people were born around uh turn of the century and up in the 1910 1915 wanted to push them out and take it over and they weren't stepping aside so it's, it's, yeah, you, it's just an interesting parallels there
0: you see in chicago a lot of an entire generation of guys born between 38 and 42 are, are, are all killed throughout the 70s they're just for one reason or another for this they just they just wipe them all out as soon as they start getting a little bit too big for their britches so i guess that you know what you're saying is right you've got the older guys starting to get a little paranoid about these younger guys getting some power.
1: <laughs> so what happened in, in Utica then with uh, our friend Albert Marone? I think he is not long for this he was earth. He was out of prison for almost
0: three weeks. He he was <laughs> out. Uh, he was out with uh, Louis Louis Brindisi, who was the local mob attorney up there. But Brindisi was pretty much connected to everybody, as, as we'll discuss. Brindisi represented every mob figure at all times in in Utica so he was he was really tied in. So Marone and his girlfriend are sitting at dinner with Brindisi. Brindisi gets up, He excuses himself. Marone starts getting nervous. He's wondering where Brindisi went. Then uh Louis Brindisi and his wife get up and they excuse themselves. So later on Marone goes back to his apartment. He's walking back. Somebody jumps up and says, you know, "Hey Albert." And he shields his girlfriend and these two guys they, it, a, he's blown away right there, walking his girlfriend to uh, to her home. These two guys, uh, Donato, Danny Nappy, and uh, Jake Minicone were were two of the shooters. They've been identified as being with the Colombo family. And Marone is known to have butted heads with some of the new Colombo guys up there. I think he was telling him he wanted them off his ter- off his uh, out of his territory and this that and the other. Uh, he was also butting heads with with the the. Falcone people, his own organization, but some of the scuttlebutt seems to be that the Columbo's moved preemptively and shot Marone, and that kind of the the Falcone and now running by this guy Tony Flange, they saw that as a sign of disrespect. The Columbo's just stepping in rather than having a sit down or or, or anything. Even if even if the the Flange and Falcone organization were mad at this guy. It's disrespectful to just come in and, and kill him without permission. So I think that really started to drive a wedge. Yeah, I
1: mean, they could have had plans for him. They just needed to, you know, bring him in and get him under control. Absolutely. And, and he could have helped him make money, you know. they.
0: Yeah, and I think, from what I read, he was an earner, so... The Columbo's, Columbos keep moving
1: north yes. and keep trying to move in. They want to expand their territory up to that and take it away from the uh, Buffalo family, from the yeah. Magadino family.
0: And then you've got... Uh, a couple months later, this is just, you can see where, where, like he said, you know, when you've got any sort of, any sort of vacuum, you've got this guy, uh, Albert Ciano. now I couldn't find any of his, any of his affiliations, if he was Columbo, or if he was whatever, but I think that he was, he was connected, is what I did read, he was, he was found dead in the road in Syracuse with six bullets in his head, so I don't, you know, I, I would say he was probably connected with something, on, I mean, unless it was mistaken identity, but, the guy who was, who was suspected is a guy named uh, Vincent Calogero, and it was supposed to be over gambling debts. You know, you've got somebody shot in the head six times and left in the middle of the road. Two months after this, Marone is shot to death in a parking lot. So you've got really, I mean, that, that's just a lot of public murders in a real short period of time. And, and you've got, periodically, you've got that going on in Utica. I mean, when there's violence in Utica, they're very violent.
1: Yeah, and whenever you get two or th- two or three, whenever you get two or three of those in a row, that's uh, uh, yeah. there's something more going on. This isn't just some gambling debt or or somebody yeah. you know mad at somebody for some reason. There's something going on, and yeah. and usually it's it's somebody's trying to take over territory and, and get establish some kind of control. At least in my experience, it always was.
0: Yeah, and Shiana ran a produce market. The Columbos were moving into the produce market in extortion, so that might have had something to do with it. It's it. But, you know, like you said, it there was something going on uh unseemly in Utica.
1: So I I see you've come up with another guy, Dominic Bretti, who was a, a Colombo yeah, uh, family member, a capo under Colombo and Carmine Persico and he ends up going up there. It's kind of interesting. I see that he claimed to have been a born-again Christian in prison and started a charity <laughs> organization to help reform criminals and, and uh, give them employment as a seafood company, which, of course, gives him a steady supply of that's, new recruits.
0: That's right. He, uh, a lot of the guys who he—I can't remember the name of his— is, but, yeah, he comes out. He said, I'm a born-again Christian. I guess he was initially from Utica, and he was in prison down in Florida— he comes out with this born-again Christian thing. Of course, by this time, he's done his time, and he kept his mouth closed. I think he did 15 years or something for the for the uh, Columbos. And he comes back, and he also wants to take over... Uh, Utica. So he starts moving in, He's, he recruits a bunch of guys with this with charity, you know, you come to me, I'll give you a job, and, you know, I'll give you a job, you know. So he, he recruits a lot of guys pretty quickly, he puts together a pretty decent-sized crew. These these two of these guys who killed Marone immediately sign up with him, and he signs on a woman a, named uh, Dawn Grillo, who is the wife of another Colombo associate who was, who was in prison, a guy named Angelo Grillo. But you know so dawn is working with them in robberies and 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 extortions and check cashing schemes i mean they they do a lot of and basically anything they can do to make money is they're starting to get starting to get established there.
1: Under the cover of this uh, organization he's got going, mm-hmm. he has his own crew. You know, Absolutely. He give them jobs there and they can have some kind of a place they're saying they're going to work and gives them a certain amount of cover, but he's got his own crew running then.
0: And he's starting to reach out to political organizations. I guess he gets into it with the uh, local Democratic boss uh, who who he was trying to get some help with his with his charity organization. He actually was going to put a hit out on the guy. I mean, so... At the bread, he's reaching into the politics of the place. He's using it, like you said, he's using his his charity to put together a crew and to try and reach into the the politics. So he's trying to take over Utica you know, the old-fashioned way, you know, with politics and with 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 muscle. He just was a little bit he was a little bit clumsy about how he did it.
1: Yeah, that's a uh, this guy was sharp though. I mean, he yeah. might have been clumsy, but he was sharp. He was coming at it from all angles in that exactly. whole charity thing and you can get in with politicians. They like to have their pictures taken where they're some kind of uh, uh fight against recidivism mm-hmm. and uh, uh helping people coming out of the jail become uh productive citizens again. So, uh, yeah, that's that's great cover, man. That's interesting. Yeah. I've seen one of those here in Kansas City. I used to wonder about it, but you know, I never no, nothing ever really came of it. But everybody that came out of the penitentiary went to work for this guy, and he had he had done a bit for our robbery himself. But he was kind of a cut above most of the other people around. Now they weren't mob connected; uh, they were more um, um, uh, probably narcotics organizations in the city connected. Uh, but uh, but all those everybody came through his place at one time. And I remember thinking this would this is quite a recruiting ground for him. We can find <laughs> out you know a little bit about each guy is they came back out of the penitentiary, and, uh, and uh, that's right, and then put them in the cruise and get them going. So I don't know if it happened or not, but that's uh, that was pretty slick on this dude's part.
0: It, it was pretty, it was pretty sharp. There was uh, another guy later on who who tried to put together a similar. Uh, I guess it, it's kind of like what uh, what Colombo did, putting together the Italian American. I was th- thoughts trailed off, but uh, the Italian American Civil Rights League. You know, uh, uh, it was it was trying to do a charity as uh, Joe Gallo did the same thing to a lesser extent as a, as a as a as a kind of a fuck you to Joe Colombo but so I, I think that they were they were seeing this as, as a as a kind of as a way to sort of diversify these these charities and civil rights and all kinds of things
1: yeah it was it's smart you know the only thing they did like that here in Kansas City is they uh, uh, they created a charity so they could have a host a bingo game and, and then skim money off the bingo game. <laughs> <laughs> now you, know, you wouldn't even know them. they had the charity except you went in and looked at the bingo, the papers on the bingo game that were filed with the state <laughs> to get the state license. But there's a lot of money passing through when those bingo, oh yeah, when those bingo halls. I mean, a yeah. lot of money. you're walk yeah. into a bingo hall, yeah, there's a fifteen the yeah, it's it's yeah.
0: stacked up. My sister plays bingo. You go in there and there's. You know, it's, it's piled high, and people have 15 cards in front of them. Right. Oh.
1: There's a lot of money passed through one of those things. A
0: lot of smoke in a bingo parlor.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's a, <laughs> I, I couldn't even hardly breathe, man. I don't. You probably can't smoke in them now, but back then, oh, my God. You couldn't hardly see across the room. And, and if you weren't a smoker, you couldn't hardly breathe. I'm glad you mentioned that. I forgot yeah. about that. Hell of a lot of smoke. <laughs> oh, well, we, we digress. That's right. So uh, so go ahead. Let's see. Where are we? We are. Uh, There's Dominic Breddy, and he's got his crew. He's out doing things.
0: So and he's getting his, his extortion business is growing. Now, the the Flange and the Falcone, they're a bit more traditional. They've got the gambling. They've got loan shark, and they've got some gun running up and through New York and New Jersey. That's the... That's the uh, Falconi, what's left of the Falconi organization that, that was already established, but Breddy comes in and he's trying to do extortion and he's he's trying to set up a he, he, he's muscling in on these businesses and trying to get into the politics. He's moving very quickly and that's drawing a bit more attention to him. He's becoming a bit more visible and he's he's creating these hit lists. This Democratic boss and there was a, a, a bar owner. He blew up his bar and wanted to wanted to to kill the guy, so. Breddy has an informant in his crew, a guy named Anthony uh, Mastraco, Mastracco, I can't speak. And so the whole time that Breddy's building his power, this Mastracco is is informing on him. Well, then, in uh, December, I guess Breddy got out in November shortly thereafter or in, uh, in around June, shortly thereafter, this Dawn Grillo, this woman, she was strangled and beaten to death and left down in a left down in a ravine. Apparently, they thought she might be speaking to the FBI, but they also believe she might have skimmed $4,000. She was killed and left in, in a pretty public way. They found her, they found her in, in the ravine right off the road, and her husband was in prison at the time. He was, he was part of the crew. He was just in prison, so he was aware that they had killed his wife
1: i would say that she was stealing money from the company yeah right <laughs> not, not informed the fbi <laughs> right. they're informed of the fbi they usually find out some better way to dispose of them <laughs> yeah because you don't want to do a you do want to do an f you to the fbi hey we no. killed your informant but uh i bet she was stealing from them and then you leave the body out there for a message to others and say you know yeah. she was stealing this is what happens when you steal that's right so, uh Randy uh, is in jail and he gets back out i see and he's got this Hit list of, of people. He's he's much more uh, violent and uh, out there than the uh, uh, Marone crew.
0: Yeah, the, yeah, than the than uh, the Falcone crew. Yeah. So he's he's escalating. You know, he's he comes up with this hit list. He's got his charity, but he's moved on and he really wants to take over. He bombs a guy's bar. He try he 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 this lawyer Brindisi, who was who was the lawyer of this Marone. This lawyer Brindisi, Louis Brindisi, is also this guy, uh, Breddy's lawyer, but Breddy, Dominic Breddy, wants to make sure he's, he's loyal, so he orders his guys to beat the lawyer up, but then he calls it off, he, he decides, probably discretion is the better part of valor, and decides not to, not to beat up his own lawyer at the, you know, at the last minute, that's the kind of logic that was occurring to this guy, so he's killed woman in his crew he's he's blown up a bar owner he was he had a hit out on the local democratic boss he was going to beat up his own attorney and the whole time he's got an informant in his crew Mastrocco. so then they were busted the the crew breddy nappy Demi- to me his whole crew was caught for the murder of don Grillo and for this uh this bar owner for blowing up his bar and putting out a hit on him this was breddy was arrested in June of 1980s. So he was out of prison for about 11 months. He really made his made his uh, he made his mark, but he did it. He didn't have much time to do it. While he's in prison, this is where it gets kind of kind of interesting. Is, is he's
1: gone for a long time? I would yeah. Imagine.
0: He he went away for uh, I think 19 years. Okay. But this Brindisi was his lawyer. He defended all these guys in their trial with this uh, uh, this Grillo murder and of uh, the Don Grillo. Brindisi was was the lawyer for all these guys, and that's and that'll come to play later because you've got Angelo Grillo, a few years later, he goes up and he sees this Louis Brindisi at a, at a local bar, and he says, you know, you represented the men who killed my wife. And Brindisi says, well, I represent all the mob guys up here. So this Grillo jumps on him, starts pounding him in the face. Oh, really? And as Brindisi pulls out a gun and just starts shooting at him in the middle of the... <laughs> On <laughs> the parking
1: lot. Oh my God!
0: <laughs> and uh, it was ruled the shooting was ruled self-defense rather than reckless endangerment. It was he was shooting at him in public, but you know, I guess the the law found on his side for uh, self-defense. But that's that's kind of where this this Brindisi he gets tied up in everything. And then right. after Breddy and his crew go to jail, you got January of 1983, which was a terrible month in Utica. You have got three murders in Utica in January of '83, and they're they're mm. pretty bad ones. We've got this lawyer Joseph Taquino. He was bar- he was Brindisi's partner. He was a young young attorney. I guess he worked with uh, with Brindisi. He was found murdered in his office, and there were, there were files thrown everywhere and and everything. He was representing uh, uh, his client AJ D'Amico, who was a Colombo guy. The police found some convoluted explanation for why he was murdered. Some some guy in New York. Was trying to track him down about a, a charity he wanted to set up, and and, and then he killed the, he killed this lawyer because he was paranoid. But the police found that out when they went to this murderer's house, and and he was dead, and and he, they found him dead and burned to death in his car. as soon as the police discover who this murderer is, he's burned to death in his car. What it sounds to me like is is the Columbos were looking to see if one of their men was informing to the police, and so they're going through the lawyer's files. Now this young lawyer shows up for work a little bit earlier, a little bit later than he was supposed to, and he walks in on them searching the office and they did what had to be done, and they and they, they shot him. And then they tried to play it off on some crazy guy who had a scheme, and he killed the lawyer as a result. But I think that this Dakina was was killed uh, sort of an accidental uh, right in the moment. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time.
1: Yeah, interesting. A mob lawyer like that, I've, I've never really heard of one getting killed unless they no. were actually doing business with him. Doesn't sound like either one of these guys were particularly doing business with him. They, they knew a lot of secrets, but yeah uh, usually I've never heard of that before, so that that makes sense that explanation makes sense
0: and yet within two days of each other, these two uh this hector ambrosi and carlos which it's hard to get anything except that they were both you know the, the this hector was shot in the head, he was known for his uh affiliations. It's possible he was an informant uh there was a lot going on the street tax at this time, as Carlos. Carla Feliciano. She was a dancer at a local mob-run strip club. She was stabbed to death, but that it's not really a, a mob-type hit. A lot of a lot of people attribute this to the mob, but mob guys don't use. I, I don't know. Just to just go up no. and stab a woman. That just sounds. That's just not, not really. Weird. That's not really out. That's, I, I I included it, but I don't think that that sounds like their mo. It no. just could just be a timing thing. A lot of a lot of people dying in January in Utica in 1983. <laughs> I guess so. It's cold up
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Snow gets deep. You got nothing else to you do. Couldn't, couldn't take it any longer. Whatever it was, you know, you <laughs> could. They couldn't take it any longer. If you say that one more time, bitch. <laughs> <laughs>
0: fucking. You've had you had that thought processes. Admit I'm going <laughs> to kill you and blame it on the mob. I'm, I'm in Chicago, man. Who are you telling? You know I. <laughs> Uh, so then you've got this. Uh, this Grillo gets out of prison and he goes after this Brindisi, and
1: then he goes after his lawyer.
0: Yeah, he went after well, he hey, went after well, lawyer and beat him up. The lawyer shot him. Well, then may,
1: maybe the lawyer, maybe maybe a Grillo or a Gillo had sent somebody to kill Brindisi back at his office and. They make they got them mixed up. They got the lawyers mixed up. <laughs> may, maybe there's another theory. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So then, so, in, so the lawyer shoots his ex client. Then well, this, he but, shot at yeah. him.
0: He he shot at him. He didn't hit him. Oh, okay. And the guy got away. And the lawyer was uh, all charges were dropped. It was shooting with yeah. self defense. But, okay. right. but then, but then. Six months later, this Angelo Grillo is shot to death while sitting in a bar. This is kind of like what happened to the Virginian. He's sitting at the bar, and a masked man walks in with a rifle and just blasts him off off a stool. But the same night he was shot, Gary, was the night the local police chief was being married, and most of the cops... Were at, were at his reception, Brindisi. including Louis Brindisi, who was the—he was at the reception also. So, I mean, that, that's a hell of an alibi. You just happen to get shot on the night all the cops are at the damn reception? Come on, man. Yeah, I don't think well, that was an
1: accident. Uh... I think, I think Mr. Grillo, people had had enough of Mr. Grillo. <laughs> can't go punching mob In, attorneys? Including the <laughs> mob attorney they'd had enough. <laughs> you can't
0: go punching mob attorneys. <laughs> then you've got Breddy's uh, brother. Somebody blew up a, a bomb on his house. I think that uh, uh, this there was another guy in the start, Jake Minicone, who was a rising star in the, the regular Utica mob. So it looks like the Columbos were all pretty much wiped out of the area by the end of this. Then you've got these two older guys, Anthony Falange and Angelo Conti. They were the heads of gambling and loan sharking. They were basically running the Utica crew, and they both died in 85 and 88. And then between 88 and 1990, you've got a massive. Uh, indictment. All these, all of the young guys, all the up-and-coming guys, are all sent to prison for, for different different mob things. There was a major sweeping indictment against all, basically all the remaining mob guys, including Brindisi. He was listed as an uncharged co-conspirator. Uh, so that's everybody was rocked down, except the only person left out of jail or left alive when everything was over was old man Joseph Falcone, who was sitting at his home, Oh Oh, really? He died of old age at ninety. Neither he or his brother ever spent any time in jail. So while all this combat was going on and everyone was fighting in the streets, and Joseph Falcone was sitting at home collecting his percentage, and uh, eating his uh, eating his dinner and drinking his uh, drinking his Chianti,
1: eating his oatmeal and drinking his Chianti, (laughs) or his uh, his and his his Chianti, uh,
0: polenta and his uh, with some warm bread. That's right.
1: And salad with house dressing, the Italian dressing. <laughs>
0: That's right. So he, he was the first and he was the last. He died in his home at 90 of old age, never spent a day in jail. So the whole crew was was wiped out in 1990. And two years later, old man Falcone calls it quits.
1: Yeah, I would imagine they're in the 80s. Probably by then, the, they'd gotten around to doing a uh, RICO case on that whole little crime family after all this violence of the 70s. Uh, in early 80s, that's when the FBI, they you know, just can't keep getting those headlines of, of one person murdered after another. And, and for, especially when they're close together like that, well, it really puts pressure on the FBI and local police to do something and they yeah. start working together. And then by then, by, you know, middle 70s, they had that RICO statute in. They're really starting to use it. It took them a while. Yeah. but But by then— the later 70s, they really were starting to use it and figured out how to use those wiretaps and, and hidden microphones to to build a case. And, you know, you just get these predicate offenses on these underlings. You get any kind of a case on some of these underlings, and then you get the wiretap and you put you, know, you end up, uh, 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 you know, picking up little tidbits of information and starting to put it together. And that's how you take out the whole family. That's, that's why they, they prospered so well so long. Yeah, because uh, they didn't have those tools. But boy, after that, Rico and that Rico
0: with that Robert Blakey just took him out.
1: Yeah. Oh, man, it did.
0: Uh, you know, you can see like an example of sort of why they that, that street tax that we've talked about. They were looked like they were doing it everywhere. You've got a guy in 1989. This guy, uh, uh, Butch Sandok, was in front of he was with his daughter and uh, he was a bookmaker. He was he was shot to death. For not paying the street tax there, so it, it just you can see that's an, another example of the violence. But that's that street tax too. You saw a lot of that in Chicago, especially with the Wild Bunch a little bit earlier in the '70s, with with just just shooting guys right in the street for for not paying tax. Hal Smith and and uh, some other guys, but uh here you got right up in utica that street tax you didn't pay it and uh they just just shot him right there and it was shortly thereafter after that kind of brazen violence that they really wiped out the whole whole organization
1: interesting this has been it's been great cam Uh, the the story of the utica mob and the the life and death of a of a crime family or a or a crew basically i guess but uh this has been really interesting I appreciate you doing all this research for me and helping me out with this. It's, uh, uh, and we're just going to keep on doing these over the next few months and see what happens, right?
0: I'd be sitting alone talking to myself about it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got, you got a few thousand people out there to talk to about it. Right. <laughs> they just can't talk back. That's see, right. that's the beauty of this. We can say something and nobody they can talk back but it's only later on (laughs) they can't call you on it if you get something wrong nobody can call you on it right now
0: (laughs) be as wrong as i want to (laughs) be
1: you got a bully pulpit here (laughs) that's right all right well it's been great Uh, folks if you have a friend or relative has a problem with drugs or alcohol make your first call to first call call 816-361-5900 or go to their website www.firstcallkc.org now, If you uh, want to see a really good mob movie, a mob documentary, and people are telling me that it's one of the better mob mock documentaries that they've seen, better go rent or buy uh, Brothers Against Brothers, the Savella Spiro War. It's on Amazon or it's at my website. It has special features on it. Of course, I've got my first movie, Gangland Wire, and if you want the DVD, I've got it on my website at a kind of a cut rate price because I've had it for so long. Um, it's uh, got special features on it, too, or you can rent it from Amazon. Got my book, Leaving Vegas How FBI Wiretaps Ended Mom Domination of Las Vegas Casinos. I'm going to be on because of that book, primarily Cam, uh, this Las Vegas Review Journal reporter that's putting together that podcast with the Mob Museum.
0: Was oh, that where and, he got where he got you?
1: And he he got onto the book and started reading the book and really using it as kind of a a roadmap to yeah. uh, to uh, really talk about that with uh, some intelligence. And I I sent him a bunch of the wiretaps and things, uh, folks. I'm kind of launched right into that. I'm going to be a guest on a limited run podcast is sponsored by the mob museum and completed by the uh, las vegas review journal and i don't know when that'll come out exactly he's uh he's supposed to interview me tomorrow afternoon i know he's already interviewed uh, um harry Reid, who was the uh clean face uh, clean face who was the uh, head of the uh, gaming commission in las vegas during the 70s and of course he's got frank Culotta out there he's interviewing him and bill owsley and and i gave him another name of a uh, member of the uh hole in the wall gang uh ernie Davino, who would not talk and and did his time and ended up in in new jersey and out of jersey yeah got uh, kind of got himself turned around didn't go back into crime and now he's just growing old peacefully out there I, uh, he and I both were under contract to help another company out that's supposed to do a documentary about it, although I haven't heard anything back from them for about a year now. So you never know what's going to come up in the future. So I uh, thank you again for helping me out, Cam, and we will talk to you later. Bye, folks. Glad to be here, Greg. Thanks. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.